record of having watched the most princess movies and I come from a as a uh, as a dad who has done that season and hopefully it's finished I can promise you that um, it <laughs> let it go. <laughs> let it go that's exactly right <laughs> it will come to an end I promise you all right but I think I'll, I'm just going to try to try to summarize every princess movie I can right there's a princess, that's a good start. There's a princess in a kingdom of some sort, and she ha- she's trying to find who, who she is, trying to understand what she's there for and what her job is to accomplish. She's got to figure out, there's usually a big, a big problem in the kingdom that she's got to res- res- rescue, resolve. She's got to fix this problem. And the, there's usually a villain. There's always got to be a villain. There's a, there's a bad guy or a girl who's trying to thwart the, the, the good purposes of the, of the kingdom. And the Disney solution um, seems to be something along the lines of if, the, if, if she can just summon enough self-belief or enough courage or enough whatever, maybe even miraculous power, that the, the problem can be solved. The princess can come to the throne. The... the the handsome prince can come along and be married, and everything can live happily ever after, right? That seems to be the sort of the story. And if there was ever a story in the Bible that was something to do with a princess and, and this whole Disney thing, Esther has got to be that one. Right? Esther is an orphan who comes from, from nowhere. She ends up being the queen. She ends up resolving the big problem, finding her purpose and living happily ever after. She even, ma- she even manages to marry a guy, not that he's much of a catch, but that's, but that's all right. Her relative, Mordecai, ends up, he's just a nice all-round good, good guy, but he's a nobody who ends up being the prime minister and he lives happily ever after. Okay, the, um, who's the other guy? Oh, yeah, the, the villain, Haman. He gets found out, his evil plan is thwarted, and he doesn't get to live happily ever after, right? But maybe, I reckon maybe a better explanation for the big picture of Esther would be an episode of the A-Team. I don't remember, I don't know who, I, I grew up on this stuff, right? So that probably explains a lot about me, uh, but he's my, he's my man. <laughs> anyway, 
So there's um, the A team. Uh, Colonel Hannibal Smith is the guy in the, is the guy in the front, and he used to every every episode there was always this single statement. I'm going to try my best my best to uh, to, to say he would always say, "There's always a plan," and I love it when a plan comes together. There's something like that, and that's the bigger picture of what Esther is about, right? There's always a plan. God's working on a plan. Um, the, the villain has been at work. There's a date set for the execution of God's people, and it's all bad news. And what seems to be worse is that God is out to lunch. God just seems to be nowhere to be found. And there's this whole, what is going on here? Sort of sense of, of what's working out. But there is a plan. And the whole book of Esther is written as a, as a history lesson from the people in Babylon to the people back in the promised land. And God is not mentioned in the book once. God doesn't turn up in that book at all. But the only possible reason, the only reasonable conclusion to come to after you read the whole thing is that God has been inextricably woken and woven into every detail and every purpose and everything's worked out because he was in it. And I want to tell you the same thing this morning. Nothing's changed, has it? God is still working together a plan and a purpose for you, for his church, for his world, for the nations in it, for everything. Nothing's changed. We can think that God is absent, but the reality is that he's not. And Esther is another one in those long lines of Old Testament characters, I suppose, that that temporarily save people or, or temporarily save God's people and are another little temporary solution to Jesus who is the permanent solution. We get to live in the, at the end of the whole book and go, everything's done. It's all done and dusted. That, that to a world of sin and death and despair, the cross is already overcome. That's, that's good stuff. That's, that's good. I want to... Um, I've, I've talked about a lot of stuff there, but that's the, that's the big picture of what Esther's all about. I want to talk, this, this whole thing is about faith. What is it about her life and her faith that really come out in the practical stuff of life? The practical details of Esther and how she lives out this faith that she says she has. Uh, this is the, you've all heard this passage before. You've, I can guarantee you've all heard it before, but I'm going to read three or four verses again. This is the key part of the book where Esther and Mordecai are having this discussion around what she is going to do. Okay, And it says this, starting in verse 13. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Do not think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will come from some other place. Man, talk about faith. Deliverance will come, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? Listen to her response. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together the Jews of Susa 
and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then though it is against the law, I will go to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. I think sometimes we, we miss the big picture of the gravity of some of these situations that are, that are going on. This is, the, this is the key moment where Esther has got to decide who she is and what she's going to do. And I think the first thing we, we notice about her is her attitude. I, I would call it intentional readiness if I had to put words to it. Now put yourself in her shoes. It has got to be easy as the queen. Even though she's been parachuted into that role a little bit, for her to, to say, I'm just going to sit here in the palace and play it safe. right? It's got to be easy just to stand there and say, I, I will sit here with my maids, I will paint my nails, whatever that looked like, I will do my toenails, I will do, check my makeup, I will shine my jewellery, I will do whatever it takes to just keep everything cool. Right? Keep everybody happy, and ju- but that's not a godly attitude. I think, I think what Esther gets to is this idea, this idea about identity. That even though she has been gifted beauty, she's, she's a beautiful woman, even though she's been gifted money and prestige and power, that her identity is not wrapped up in her money, prestige, power or beauty. It's wrapped up in her role to play in what God wants to do. Okay, I think it's the difference between a passive attitude and an attitude of intentional readiness, which I said before. The, the, the word passive is very inter- interesting in the, in the dictionary. There's a really cool definition I'm going to show you. It says, accepting whatever happens or what others do without any active response or resistance. Sounds, sounds all right. Okay? You're just cruising, just going with the flow. There's another second part of this, of this that I found really fascinating. Listen to this. I love how the dictionary actually gives you little examples. In the case of an electrical circuit or a device containing no source of electromagnetized force. Here's what I want you to know. Playing it safe... Going with the flow, going with the prevailing wisdom of the day is living without God's power. Hear that? We live without God's power and direction. We don't see the people and the opportunities and the things right in front of us that God wants us to keep an eye on. Okay. The alternative, I think, is an attitude like Esther's got, ready ready to go when God says there's an opportunity right in front of you and I've put you here right for this moment right now. And I think um, this, this quote from J.I. Packer, he's not related to the Packers. He, he is, uh, this, is, this, is, this is a good one. It's not, um, I'll read it first. Passivity actually resists and quenches the spirit. Souls that cultivate passivity do not thrive they waste away. So the Christian motto should not be let go and let God, but trust God and get moving. That's a challenging one. Now, that, let, let, let's just face it. 
There are some times where you've got to let go and let God. <sighs> okay? But there's a lot of times where you've got to trust God and take a step of faith. Okay? And many of us, I think, assume that one day God might just get his act together and bring about the perfect scenario where your gifts and your callings and everything else line up with his provision and it's all just perfect, right? I'm still waiting for that day. It hasn't arrived yet, okay? I think, I think all of us would love to, to just be in that moment where everything falls into this nice dovetail and it's beautiful. But I think why that really happens is because in that place, you stand to get the glory. You stand to get the, the, the glory and God wants it back. God wants to keep it. So I think many of us spend a long time in our life waiting for that day where God would just bring everything together when there's opportunities that we're missing right in front of us to take that maybe aren't perfect, but are opportunities for God to stretch us. Okay, God wants to do that sort of stuff. And I think this intentional readiness thing is an attitude that God can use. It's a heart that is willing to be used of him in whatever situation you find yourself. And a couple of examples I just thought about. Imagine a, imagine a marriage that is intentionally ready to care for each other and intentionally ready to serve God every day of the moment rather than just going passive, the passive way. Passive way is everything's fine, it's all good. And I think if you're, intentional, if you're intentionally ready to have the attitude after God, I think that marriage thrives rather than just survives. I think there was a mention of it before. Imagine a church where people came in to church with the idea of intentionally ready rather than let's see what they've got for us today. Okay? It's so easy to do. And intentional, I think, would be what can I do? Who can I serve? Whose life can I speak into? Who can I encourage? Where can God use me? And I'm so grateful to those people who have that attitude in our church. There's so many of you. Okay? Imagine walking into... <laughs> Here's a challenge. Imagine walking into work this week with an attitude of intentional readiness to serve God into whatever he throws you into rather than just turn up for a paycheck. Let me, go, let me know how that one goes next week. Um, notice that an attitude after God in this area doesn't just do the attitude. It changes her decision-making. That's number two, decision-making. And most of us make about 1,000 decisions a day Many of them are unconscious. We just don't even notice. Like, I didn't ask God this morning what colour socks to wear. Okay? There's, there's a lot of decisions we don't have to ask God about. But the reality is that there's going to be people in our church, people in our lives, where, where, where we have big decisions to make, maybe at the end of the year, about what to do, where to go, where to become, what, whatever that looks like. Okay? And we need to know how to, how to navigate them. And Esther, I think, I think, is a pretty good example. It's not the only example, but it's a good one. Okay? And I think more than anything, what you can sense in this is you can sense her heart. I think you actually sense, sense that more than anything, what she wants is to be a part 
of what God wants to do rather than what she wants to do. That's, that's the heart cry of what's going on here. It's, I, I, I'm not happy going with the flow. I want to go where God wants me. Because that's the place where you find peace and, and that sort of stuff. There's a couple of things she does. The first thing she does is she verifies that the report she receives is true. If you look back a couple of verses before that passage I just read, she goes to her advisors and makes sure that what she's actually been told is the truth. Because there's no point making a decision or action based on something that doesn't make sense. Okay? Um, secondly, she considers that question, what is my little part? What is, what is my little part to play in the big picture about what God wants to do? What's my little part? How does my story affect God's story? And she knows, I think, it's a massive decision. The, the circumstances for her are pretty clear. But the, the path that she has to take is, is pretty straightforward. And it's that, but she knows it's a massive question. Because it affects not only her life, but her family's life, uh, the, the next generation, the, the, the very future of the nation depends on her decision. This is a big call. And she doesn't want to get it wrong, so she asks somebody she trusts to pray and fast on her behalf, and she commits to doing the same. And notice that one of the things that happens in prayer is there's not a hint of worry in that. If you read that passage again slowly, there is not a hint of worry about what might happen. Because I think when you fast and when you pray, the what-ifs get left with God. And that's where you find peace. That's where you discover peace, because prayer and fasting make all the difference. And I can't help but notice the difference between this decision, which he sets out to honour God in, and the king in chapter 1, who is, in fairness, a bit of a goose. right? Um, if the, the king decided that he would hold a six-month banquet, now I'm, I'm not sure about catering purposes, but he decides to hold a six-month banquet for all his fighting men and his army and the best of his nation, showing off the glory of all, of all his kingdom. Six months. And then at the end of that, he decides to have a six-month... Sorry, after that six months, he decides to have another seven-day banquet with only the blokes with no limits on alcohol consumption. I think you can tell where this is going. It doesn't, it doesn't sound good. Look at chapter 1 and verse 10. On the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine, he told the seven eunuchs who attended him, bring Queen Vashti to me, to, to, to him, with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and other men to gaze upon her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's order to the queen, she refused to come. This made the king furious and he burned with anger. Now, I don't think I need to spell out what's, what's going on here. This is, this is a pretty depraved sort of situation. The king asked the queen to come to that environment wearing just her crown, essentially, is what's going on. Okay? And when the queen refuses, quite rightly, but obviously at great peril to herself, the king in the heat of the moment makes a decision that's only intention is to make himself look good. 
His only intention is to look after his own interests rather than anything else. And notice the regret next morning. Check out, this, check out the, verse, the first verse of chapter 2. Chapter two. After his anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what he had done and the decree he had. Do you, see, do you sense the regret? I sense a little thing of regret there that the, the king must go, oh, what was I thinking? Here's my point. If you want to make decisions that honor God, if you, if you want to make decisions that, that, that you can't do it while you're drunk, you can't do it while you're angry. You can't do it while you're emotional. You can't do it while you are tired or, you have, or your motivations are wrong. If you're only after your own interests, you're never going to make a decision that God is right with. Okay? And you know what? I think, I think our selfish nature, our selfish tendency, when you feel insulted or hurt or grumpy, or offended, or whatever one of those things, tired, angry, all those, all those, those whole gamut of emotions, is you make a permanent decision based on a temporary situation. And it's a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for disaster. Okay? I think those, those decisions I think you, that you get wrong... I think are often, are often, they often commit you to a course of action that goes over here when God's going over here. Okay? And you know what? Once you start down this road, it's really, really hard to veer off track and go back to where God wants you to. And that's why decision-making is so important. And it's such an, it's such an essential thing that those big decisions, that we get them right. And I think, like, you know, Esther hasn't, doesn't have a a market on the only godly way of making ideas, but this is a really good one. This is a really good model of going to God, taking time, rushing into a decision when it particularly affects the, the future of your nation and doing it in the course of, you know, I've just got to get, that, get this done right here and now is not going to help you. And I think, I think what Esther does here is a really good thing. It's a really good thing. And you might have noticed the, the third point. There's one of the recurring aspects of faith that you see in all these stories that, that just come on in, in our whole series is there is usually somebody godly prompting us to live up to the way God calls us to. The third thing about, is about godly advice. And I want to ask you, who is the, who's the person who plays the role of Mordecai in your life? That's a bit of a silly question, but... It's easy in our lives, like what's been talked about this morning already, to start out with a great, we're going to come home from this camp and change the world. Everything's going to be awesome, okay? But we are essentially creatures of comfort, us people, aren't we? We're creatures of comfort and we settle for safety and we settle for possessions and we settle for people we trust and we settle for predictability. And because we live safe, we often miss what God's trying to do outside of that. Okay? And we all need people who, in our lives, godly people who encourage us back to the greater purpose that God is trying to achieve through us.
many years ago when I was in the police force. Before I joined the police force, I was doing driver training. This is one of the coolest two weeks you will ever do in the police academy. And the instructors were trying to teach us how to drive around a corner. Now, I knew how to drive around a corner. I've been driving for years, right? I knew how to drive around a corner. You brake for the corner, you go around the corner, you know, all that sort of stuff. I thought it was pretty straightforward, okay? But what the instructors were trying to teach us was the best way to brake, the best way to mostly the manoeuvre around a corner when you're doing urgent duty driving or you're involved in a pursuit because all those other skills go out the window. What they wanted to teach us was, there's a photo coming up in a minute, was essentially was how, was how to drive a, a Formula One car, how to drive a, a V8 supercar, how, how to essentially take corners in a way that actually maximise your, your speed. Now, please don't go home and try this. Just put that there. But they, they come down, they go wide on that corner, they cut that corner, and they just take the most direct route through the apexes of the corners. There's, there's no, there's no uh, great um, stuff in there. But it essentially is a way to, to maintain your speed to the maximum you can. And what we need... What I needed most, what we needed most of all in that thing, we we as as trainee police were tr were just trying to to play it safe. We were just trying to do things the way that we'd always known. What we needed was somebody who had a really clear sense of what he wanted to do, who wanted to get in the car and show us what to do, and then let us go and pursue it for ourselves. That's what we needed. We needed somebody to get in the car and push us to where God wanted us rather than just settle for being safe. Yeah? And we need that desperately in our churches too. We need those people in our lives. That people who know us well enough when we settle for safety or predictability. People who know us well enough to say, I think God's in this, and I think you should consider this. Now, we, need, we do morning tea out on the deck here, and that ain't, that ain't for gossip. That's for an opportunity for you to engage and encourage other people as they wrestle with the decisions of their lives. It's why we do small groups. It's why we do marriage courses. It's why we do Alpha. Because all those places are places that we push each other to not settle for the stuff that we have, but to push on for more that God wants us to. I think that's, a, that's, that's how it's got to be. So don't think about coming together just to talk about the weather. Talk about investing in one another and what you can do to push other people through that barrier of predictability and safety. Now, I've talked about decision-making, and I've talked about attitudes, and I've talked about godly advice, and that's all very nice. Okay? But I think the foundational aspect of Esther's life is built around her perspective of God rather than all those nice little flowery things I just mentioned. And I think that... I think her heart's cry more than anything is that her... My dream so much would be that my God gets the glory out of what I do rather than me. That, that's got to be where her heart's at when she does this, when she makes all these decisions. 
And you know what? I think if you... If you get your awe of God right, you get your perspective of God right, your decisions and your attitudes and your, the people you hang out with, they take care of themselves. I think it begins in Proverbs 9. There's 10 words there that are really amazing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where she gets her, this is what I'm going to do from. And this is not a fear of a fear that us humans have. This is, a, this is a, a healthy reverence and awe of who her God is. And a desire more than anything for her little story to be part of his bigger story. Okay. As I finish this morning, I want to read something to you. It'll take a few minutes to do, three or four minutes maybe. And Pastor Mike Hilson from America wrote it. It's a summary of... His, what he found about God in the Bible as he read the whole thing over the course of his life. I love it so much, I actually put it up on my office wall because it reminds me why I go to work every day. It reminds me why I do what I do. And I'm happy to email it out. And you know what? You can just say amen whenever you, whenever you feel like it. I'm going to read this whole thing. <laughs> it starts with this. The God I serve is... Lord Almighty, undisputed King, Lion of Judah, Rock of Ages, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Provider, Reigning Guardian over all his universe. He is Father, Helper, God, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Keeper of all creation and the Creator of all he keeps. He is the very Architect of life. He always is and always will be, unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, but never undone. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. He is the wisdom of the wise, the ancient of days, the sovereign Lord of all that was, is, and is to come. He, is, he was bruised and brought healing, pierced to heal pain, tortured to bring freedom, was dead and bought life. The world can't explain him. The armies can't defeat him. Schools can't understand him. Politicians can't ignore him. Pharisees couldn't confuse him. New age can't replace him. And sin can never defeat him. Herod couldn't silence him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't kill him. And the atheists can't explain him. He is light, love, longevity, Lord, Goodness, kindness, gentleness, God. Holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, pure. Redeemer, saviour, God. Peace, joy, comfort, my Lord. And he rules my life. I serve him because his bond is love. His way is right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging. His burden is light. And his mind is on me. This one emphasize. His goal is a relationship with me. He will never leave me, forsake me, or mislead me. He will never disown, forget, or overlook me. He will never be too busy for my call. When I fall, he lifts me up. When I fail, he forgives. 
When I am weak, he is strong. When I am lost, he is the way. When I am afraid, he is my courage. When I fall, he steadies me. When I am hurt, he heals me. When I am broken, he mends me. When I am blind, he leads me. When I am hungry, he feeds me. When I face trials, he is with me. When I face trouble, he steals me. When I face problems, he comforts me. When I face loss, he provides for me. And even when I die, he carries me home. What a God. He is everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, in every way. He is God. He is faithful. I am his. He is mine. No matter what I do, I can't outrun his love. Amen. If you're wondering why I feel so secure, understand this. He said it. I believe it. That settles it. The the crux of Esther is the last statement. God is in complete control. I am on his side, and that means that all is well with my soul. If, if that's the God we serve, if that's the God we serve, then our decision is whether we're going to be passive and just cruise or whether we're going to toss, whether we're going to actually live like he matters, whether we're actually going to live and step out right here, right now, wherever God might use us, whatever he wants to do. Maybe there's something you've been putting off for a while. Maybe there's a decision you've been putting off or something that's been weighing on your heart and you don't know where to go with it. Today's an opportunity to... Maybe there's something right in front of you that is not ideal, but it's where God wants you and you've been holding off. How about we just walk into the week this week with a, with a new commitment and a new heart to, if that's the God we serve, we walk into the week this week going, God, where can you use me and what can I do? Let's pray. God, I, um, I know there's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things in that, in what I just read. But God, I'm blown away by the fact that you're no matter what we do, we can't outrun your love. We can't outrun your love. God, our, our, world is in, our world is in a bit of turmoil today. And the God we serve is in complete control. And we find hope and peace and purpose in that God. God, I pray for the people here this morning that as, that as we wrestle with what it is that you might call us to do and be, that you would help us to be faithful and true and to follow your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.